Thank you for joining us here at the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. In case we haven't met, I'm Jason Hitchings, and I'm the men's and sports director here at Rolling Hills. Today, we are continuing our series, Masterclass. Jesus invites each and every one of us into his journey, no matter who we are or what we've done. Even though we are sinners, he calls us to become servants and leaders like him. Now let's dive into chapter two of the Gospel of Mark. We're glad you're here. Well, I want to start out today by talking to you about some things that I'm intrigued by. And one of the things that I'm intrigued by, I've always been intrigued by the big, bold, audacious things that people are willing to do. And that is some of you guys, you live your life at a place where you say, I am, I'm not afraid. Uh, I'm confident and I can do something that nobody else can do. Nothing is going to stop me. You're not afraid to go swimming with the sharks. That is some of you, some of y'all have been bungee jumping and you're not afraid of that. Some of you all have loved artwork so much that you had the courage to put it on your skin forever in a tattoo. And I admire that, I really do. I mean, that's just not me, but I fully admire those of you that say, I am that confident that I am going to like this forever. Uh, You proposed to your wife uh, in in front of 25,000 people on a jumbotron because you were just so confident that she was going to say, yes, some of you have already heavily invested in Bitcoin and you're working in the metaverse as we speak. And then there's some of you that I like to refer to as a little more analog. You kind of prefer, analog got a woo woo, you prefer, Uh, you prefer your money to be in a brick and mortar bank. You proposed a loan because, well, you never know um, how that might go. Um, you like art that's hanging on walls, and you like to go to Pigeon Forge, not because of the bungee jumping options, but because of the pancake and fudge options, and you love a good zero-entry swimming pool. That's just where some of us are, and the reality is God loves us all. And God has a plan for all of us. But I love to explore and think through these bold actions. And so today is certainly no exception because my question is, what makes a person take a big leap of faith? What is it that makes a person say, hey, there's a mountain and I can climb that mountain? When you look at scripture through this lens of big, bold, kind of audacious levels of faith, you begin to see that this is how God desires for us to live. This is how he wants us to live our life, to be bold. So I'm so excited about our passage today in Mark chapter 2 as we're going to dig into the second week of this sermon series called Masterclass, where we're going to be looking at the book of Mark for the next 16 weeks. You heard that right, 16 weeks. So we're in week two, so you've got 14 after this. But what we're going to be doing is taking the book of Mark chapter by chapter by chapter throughout the course of the summer, and I'm so excited about it. Kelly Mentor kicked us off last week, and she highlighted some of the, some of the things that are important for you to know about the book of Mark, but I want to re- kind of re- refresh some of those things and hit a few of those highlights. Again, this is uh, chronologically in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, it's the second of the Gospels, but in terms of when it was actually written, it was the first that was written of the Gospels. So it is the first Gospel that was written by a guy named John Mark, and the intended audience of this letter, of this this Gospel, was the church in Rome. And in Rome, they were particularly under the kind of persecution or the oppression of the evil emperor Nero. And so when you read Mark, you begin to kind of get in your mind, hey, this is intended for some people who are going through some adversity, who are going through some difficulty, who need to be taking big, bold, courageous steps of faith. And so it dates back to about AD 50 is when this was written. So if you do the math, that means this is about 20-ish years, give or take a few, after Jesus has died and after he has resurrected. And so the church is very much in its early elemental stages 
if you will, and this gospel was, was, was written in a way to encourage those who are in, in Rome under uh, oppression. Now, if you compare the book of Mark to the, the other gospels, for example, you might think that this feels a little bit lighter. It's shorter. It's the shortest of all the gospels, but it's also important to remember this was the first one that was recorded. And so as other gospel writers kind of started giving some of the accounts of, of what's happening here, you begin to get a little bit more of the details. But in essence, it's a story, and it's to be read like a story and to be interpreted like a story. And it's all about Jesus, and it's about who Jesus is, and who is what is the te- the teachings of Jesus. Jesus saying that he's the Messiah, and can you really believe that claim in the Book of Mark? You see a lot of the uh, the uh, miracles that Jesus has performed. We hit some of those last week. We're going to hit them this week. Basically, for the next 14 weeks, you're going to be looking at these miracles of Jesus. And what are our takeaway points from that? And, and ultimately, we're going to end today by just saying, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me in Mark chapter 2? What are the takeaways that I'm supposed to kind of to go away with in terms of, of being a student in this master class in this book of Mark? And so Mark chapter 2 is filled with lots of information. We're not going to even hit everything in Mark chapter 2 today, but I'm so excited that you're here. For those of you with us for the very first time, or maybe are you with us for the second time, just know that I'm so honored that you are here. Thank you for being here with us this morning. And so I want to jump right into Mark chapter 2. You're going to see these words up here on the screen. If you have a mobile device and you want to hop online, you can follow along with me if you have a copy of God's Word. Matthew is the first in the New Testament. The next book over is Mark. And in chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. And some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. And so when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take up your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Let's pray. God, thank you for this opportunity to be together. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the promise of your word. We thank you that, God, you are the same then as you are today. You perform miracles then. You want to perform miracles in our life now. God, you were the Savior then. You are the Savior now. And so I pray that as we hear and listen and just interact with what you want us to learn this morning, God, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we would walk away today different, not because of anything that we do in this place, but because of you meeting us here. So God, we just give this morning to you, and it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. Now, I would like to say that I have preached through some distractions. Okay, uh, you don't have to look around to realize we're in a small room here. You know, we're in a small room, and we have babies right on the other side of that cinder block wall. And sometimes you hear them crying or hearing, and it doesn't bother me at all because what that it tells me is that you're here and not somewhere else. And so I'm grateful for that. And I hear your phones ring sometimes. Um, sometimes you guys are on your Bible app and you're scrolling, and instead of scrolling, you hit that play button, and that guy starts reading. <laughs> 
It's happened several times. It would be really ironic if it happened today. And you're scrolling and that guy starts reading Mark chapter two and we kind of just take a pause to let him finish uh, so that we, can, uh, that, that we can come back. But in the midst of all of the distractions, um, I don't th- this has never happened to me. I've never been teaching in a room where uh, people start digging a hole in the ceiling of the room and start hammering into the ceiling of the room so that they can lower someone down in the midst of the room. And that is precisely what's going on here in this account. When you go back to verse one, a few days later, it says, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home and they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. It starts by saying a few days later, meaning that if you go back to Mark chapter one, what happened at the end of Mark chapter one, Jesus healed a leper. And he brought emotional and physical healing to this leper. And just a few days later, he goes back to where he is staying in Capernaum. And most biblical scholars believe that he's staying at the home of Simon Peter. And if you remember back in Mark chapter 1, Simon Peter's mother-in-law was the one who was healed of the fever. So he is back in the house where miracles have already happened. He's performed a miracle there once. He goes, he comes back into this place, and he's teaching in the middle of her house. And it's crowded and large numbers of people are there and they're shoulder to shoulder. And I can't imagine that they're spilling out into the street. People have heard there's miracles that are there and they want to come and see Jesus. Jesus draws a crowd every time he speaks, but he also did not just draw a crowd of people who were there to hear about the message of hope. He also drew a crowd from all these religious leaders, these really elite know-it-alls that were always keeping their eyes on Jesus because they wanted to see what he was going to teach because they didn't believe that he was the Messiah. His early disciples are there, and I'm sure they're just trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Simon's mother-in-law is there, and she can, can profess that the healing has happened. Jesus is in the heart of the room teaching, and not in the room yet is this paralyzed man. And we're taught that he's confined to a mat, and he can't physically get up and walk into the room to hear the teachings of Jesus. But his friends are attempting to get him there to hear Jesus. But because the room was so crowded, there was no way to get in. So they do what anyone would do. They climb on the roof of the house. And in the first century, the houses, the roofs were kind of thatch roofs with mud. You know, it's kind of that, kind of that style of adobe, if you will. And, and so it, would, it wouldn't have been necessarily a difficult roof to dismantle, but nonetheless, it's the roof of this house. And we don't have in practice of making another door up there to get in. Can you imagine it? You're sitting in the middle of the room and you feel dust particles hitting your head. And then a clot of dirt hits your head. And then you look up and here comes a man being lowered down. I mean, I thought about doing it in here for dramatic effect. I mean, we're going to, we're moving into a new building anyway. So why not just, but can, can you imagine, I mean, what an arrival. What an arrival into this room in full view of the owner of the home who now has a homeowner's insurance claim that he's gonna have to make because of this in full view of the crowd, these friends made a decision to say, we are not gonna let any of these obstacles get in our way. Normal people, normal people would have said, we'll just catch Jesus at the next stop because he's teaching. We're gonna catch Jesus at the next stop, but these friends were not normal people. They said, our buddy needs the healing. He needs the hope. He needs the peace that Jesus has. And with boldness and with confidence and with, I think, some of the most audacity that I've ever seen in Scripture, they say, we are getting our friend to Jesus, which is a 
question that I want to pose to you this morning, and you see it there on your notes. And maybe you want to fill in these notes and follow along and reflect upon these throughout the course of the week. But the question is, are you willing then to carry others to Jesus? Are you willing to be a mat carrier to a someone else, to Jesus? Go back to verse 4. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. I love that. Since they could not get to him. They could not get to him. That meant that their boldness and their courage began to increase. See, most of us don't have to physically go to these measures today. We don't have to physically kind of take this, but the point holds really, really true. Are you willing to be a mat carrier for someone else? And today, this may look a little bit differently for us than it did back in the first century. But nonetheless, you and I will be given opportunities every day, every moment, every month, every year, if we glean them to be able to carry other people to Jesus to carry the needs of other people to Jesus. For, for us, it might mean setting aside our agenda to say, I want to meet the need of someone else. For us, it might mean, hey, you share something with me that you're going through, and I carry that need to Jesus by hitting my knees and praying for what it is that's going on in your life. It means us approaching God with boldness and saying, God, there are needs in the lives of other people, and I trust and know that you yearn to and that you want to meet them. But see, the reality is that some of us are not willing to carry other people to Jesus because we're too busy to carry people to Jesus. Some of us are too embarrassed to carry other people to Jesus. We have such little margin in our life that there are needs that come in front of us every day, every moment, and we just whiz right by them because we're running 15 minutes late or we have a schedule that's already way too overpacked and right there in our midst, right on our streets, right in our homes, right in our places of work, there are people that we can carry to Jesus. But sometimes we miss it. I know that I do. Or sometimes we're too embarrassed to carry other people to Jesus. Someone shares a need with us and that Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is speaking to our heart right now saying, stop what you're doing and pray for that person. And what do we say to ourselves? Our mind says, oh, they'll think that's the silliest thing ever. But when someone brings a need to you, how about in the moment saying, hey, can we stop and pray about that right now? Let's carry that to Jesus. Let's bring that to Jesus in boldness, just like these guys. And I mean, think about these friends. These are pretty intense measures to go to if you don't believe that Jesus can actually do it. I mean, these are, these are, this is intense. This is a really intense way. If I didn't believe that Jesus could actually heal my friend, I don't think that I would do this. So how do you and I do this today? How can we live this way? Well, in order to live this way, we have to look at the way that these guys in the first century were living. And what they had is what we can have as well. And it's called faith. It's faith. It's faith in knowing that Jesus can meet these needs. You see this here on your notes, but this is one of the things that we can learn about faith. True faith always leads to boldness, doesn't it? Faith always leads to boldness. True faith always leads us to being more courageous, to us being bold. Go back to verse five. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. See, these are bold actions on the part of the friends, but in the reality, faith always leads us to boldness. It has to, if it's really faith, it has to be bold. I mean, I step on an airplane and I have to have faith that the pilot up front knows what she's doing. They didn't consult me. I didn't get to look at their flight certificates. I didn't get to go up and interview her and say, how many hours have you logged in this aircraft? I mean, it takes faith to say, I'm putting my trust in your hands. It takes faith to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, we have to have faith to approach Jesus. It's a bold move. 
think about it, because what I'm doing is I'm coming to Jesus and I'm saying, I'm asking for something that I don't really deserve. I'm saying, forgive me for the sin in my life because what I deserve because of sin is death. But God sent his son Jesus as a free gift to make my life right. It's the power of the gospel. And if you've yet to receive that free gift, do us a favor, mark that on your card today that you wanna talk with someone about what it means to experience that free gift of God's salvation. It's only through faith that I can ask that. It's a bold move and it requires faith. My kids have a lot of faith. They bring some really bold requests to me. <laughs> I mean, they have the audacity to ask me if they can have ice cream after dinner when they have touched none of their food at dinner. And in that case, I usually respond by saying, thank you for your boldness, I appreciate that, but that's a hard no, not gonna happen. <laughs> Keep that faith up, just not about this moment. It's bold to go to this level of these friends. And to be honest with you guys, uh, if, if I could just kind of pull up a, a chair and we could have a face-to-face, knee-to-knee conversation about this, I've been really convicted about this this week because what faith requires me to do is faith requires me to step out into areas of unknown. And faith requires me to step out into areas that might make me a little bit uncomfortable, that aren't as easy as I want life to be, to believe God is going to do what he says he is going to do, to seek to be a mat carrier for others, I have to move into a realm that's uncomfortable. And this has been really convicting for me this week because I don't know about you, maybe this is just me, and maybe I'm preaching to myself with this, but sometimes my life just gets really comfortable. And uh, I look around and I realize that I've got a lot of people in my life that I, that I love and a lot of people in my life that I enjoy being around, but I don't have as many people in my life that I'm caring to Jesus as I need to. Or I don't have as many people in my life that aren't yet experiencing what it is that I know Jesus has for them. And it takes boldness to say, I'm going to move out of my holy huddle. I'm going to move out of my circle. I'm going to move out of all the groups of people that I enjoy being with because they make me feel really good about myself and go to the group of people that are desperate, that are broken, that are hurting. And I can't believe that John Mark would, would, would want us to know that what we're talking about today, this is not for the faint at heart, but this is for the faithful. This is for people who seek to live by faith because according to verse five, Jesus sees the collective faith of this group. And, he, and we don't know, for, for, for a matter of fact, we don't know what condition the paralyzed man is in in terms of like, is he wanting this to happen? I think we read this passage of scripture and we kind of tend to think that he was probably you know, brought against his own will. You know, that, that these guys just you know, put him on the mat and say, hey, you're coming with us. When in reality, I, I think that the, the better interpretation is probably that he's excited about seeing Jesus. He's excited about coming to Jesus. I mean, how do we know that? Because Jesus looks at the collective group and says, because of your faith, you are made whole. Your faith has huge implications for other people, but every person's individual faith journey is their journey. And so just because they bring this guy to Jesus doesn't mean that just because of them, Jesus makes him whole. So there's some personal accountability and responsibility he has there. But each individual person's faith in Jesus was a huge part of this story. It's incredible faith on display. How about us? Is our faith on display? Can your faith be seen on display publicly in the sectors that you, that you work in? Now, in classic Jesus fashion, this miracle happens in the earshot of the religious leaders. 
in the earshot of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were always following Jesus around because they were trying to kind of catch him up. They were trying to see if they could catch him up in some lie or some half-truth. Go with me to verse 6. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And so they see this miracle, and instead of being amazed at what happened, their mind immediately goes to blasphemy because what Jesus has said is your sins can be forgiven. And the Pharisees say, how can Jesus have the authority to do that? They even say right there, they, they understood who was the forgiver of sins, that it was God. They said, who can forgive sins but God alone? What they did not understand is that Jesus was God that God had sent Jesus as the fulfillment of prophecy to be the sacrifice for the sins of all humanity. So they knew that God would forgive sins. They didn't, just, they didn't trust the authority of Jesus, that Jesus was the one who was going to forgive those sins. And in reality, this is where the Pharisees were. If you don't trust the authority of Jesus, you don't trust Jesus. They didn't trust the authority of Jesus. And the same is true for us today. If I don't trust the authority of Jesus, then I really don't trust Jesus. If you don't trust the authority with which Jesus existed and he is here with us today, then you don't trust Jesus. The Pharisees didn't have faith because they didn't see Jesus as fully God. They said, sure, God forgives sins. They just didn't believe that Jesus was the one that God had sent. He was not God, according to them. And this is where the rubber meets the road for you and I today. And we have to grapple with that same question because if we don't trust the authority of Jesus, we don't trust Jesus. Jesus is not just a good moral teacher. And most of society would say, okay, the teaching of Jesus, absolutely, I love that. I love what Jesus teaches. I think that it's awesome. Some of us look at Jesus as he's just the counselor of all counselors. Jesus is just an awesome life coach. You know, he is my BFF and we are so close and we are so tight. Now, I don't know if he's the Messiah. I think there's like 25 ways that I can be made right with God, but I love the teachings of Jesus. My friends, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one, the only one that God sent to make our lives whole, to forgive us. And he had that authority. And the man on the mat who was paralyzed trusted the authority of Jesus. The Pharisees, the religious elite, they didn't. And so what the text tells us is that Jesus immediately knew what they were thinking. He knew what they were thinking, which just further affirms that he's sovereign and that he's all-knowing and he knows everything that's happening around him. And so he says to the Pharisees, which then is easier? To say to this man, your sins are forgiven, choice A, or is it choice B, take up your mat and walk? Which of these is easier to do in this moment? Go with me to verse 10. After he's asked that question, he says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And he got up, he took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. See, it was very common in the first century when someone had a physical ailment like this man did. It was a very common line of thinking that you were physically ailing because of sin in your life. And so this guy did not have the ability to walk, so he must have been the super sinner of all sinners. And that's kind of what was often the, the line of thinking in the first century. But what does Jesus do? Jesus comes into this guy's life and says, all sin is equal. We have all sinned. All of us have fallen short because of the glory of God, and we're all in need of a Savior. And he knows that the heart of the Pharisees is trying to catch him up, and so he poses this question, which is easier, to forgive sins or to make this man walk? But then Jesus says, well, I actually show you that I have the authority. I'm going to do both. 
To show you whose authority I really come under, I'm going to do both. I'm going to heal this man physically, but I'm also going to heal him spiritually and provide life for him on the inside. And what does Jesus continue to do today? The exact same thing. The exact same thing. I look at this miracle and I think this is really, really awesome, but the greatest miracle is what Jesus does on our inside. The greatest miracle is what Jesus does for our heart, what Jesus does for our soul. And see, that was solely accomplished through the cross and this man received that. But he also received that outward healing and he walks out of the room in full sight of everyone and everyone, it says, is amazed. Now the owners of the home, they have a hole to fix. We're amazed, but this is still here. Um, And his friends, I'm sure, are really, really happy that they didn't have to lift that guy back up because, you know, there's gravity. It was easier to lower him in than it would have been to lift him back up. And of course, this man is walking out in amazement. And then the story kind of turns. So this is the first part of the story. And then we have some undetermined amount of time that picks back up with verse 13. So we've now moved on to another scene. Pick up with me in verse 13. So once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. And a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but call sinners. And so you see that the story kind of takes a turn. He's healed this man, the man's walked out. And now on another day, Jesus is walking and he begins to approach this crowd. A large crowd is assembled. He begins to teach them. But as he's walking, he comes across Levi. And Levi is a tax collector. Levi's other name in scripture is Matthew. And so this is Matthew, uh, one of the earlier disciples known by Levi here in Mark. And so he follows Jesus. And at some point after Levi begins to follow Jesus, Jesus ends up in Levi's house where there are lots of tax collectors. So just like then, just like today, we like to hang around people who are like us. And so there's this group of tax collectors who are hanging out in Levi's house. And again, this causes a spectacle amongst the Pharisees. Can you imagine being Jesus everywhere you go? There's this group of religious elite just following you around, looking through the blinds to see what is Jesus doing? And they begin asking the question, why would he hang out with these people? Why would he hang out with tax collectors? And what Jesus is reminding us through this text, part of this masterclass, part of this homework that we take with us today, you see it here on the screens. What is Jesus reminding us? Jesus is saying, I call and I continue to call unlikely characters for my kingdom work. Jesus called back then and continues to call unlikely characters for his kingdom work. I can assure you, friends, no one expected Levi to be picked as one of the earliest disciples. No one expected Jesus to be hanging around a crowd like Levi because he was a tax collector. And let's just say tax collectors, if you think tax collectors in the IRS are really people that you don't like now, they really were unlikable characters back then because a tax collector in this case, they would have worked for the Roman government. It was a Jewish man, but he would have worked for the Roman government, which they were under oppression. So the Roman government was an enemy and they collected taxes on behalf of people. But what tax collectors did in the first century is they figured out how much they could charge over tax people. And then the Roman government would want the tax collectors that overtaxed people. 
because they made more money from the people. And when the tax collectors made more money for, for the Roman government, that meant that they made more money for themselves. And so when Levi walks away from that occupation, he's walking away from a really hefty income. He's walking away from a really significant state in life. And maybe you're not like the tax collector, but you and I are still broken people. We're broken people, and Jesus calls then and continues to call now really broken people for his work. I've often said this, many times I've said this in my messages, but I promise you, if you could see a scrolling screen of every thought that I've ever had or every action I've ever done, I promise you would go to a different church. You would be looking for somewhere else if you realized how broken I was as your pastor. But in full view of the Pharisees, what does Jesus do? He goes into Levi's house which was probably a going away party of sorts. It's kind of like an April 20th H&R block party. You know, tax day is over and everybody's together and, and because he's leaving the profession. And it's almost as if they're all together and Jesus marches right in and sits down with this crowd. What should our takeaway be from that? Our takeaway should be, be careful not to isolate yourself from the very people that Jesus chose to dine with. Be careful not to isolate yourself from the very people that Jesus chose to dine with. I mean, go back with me to the text to verse 16. It says, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why would Jesus do this? Jesus did this because he loved the tax collectors. Why should we not isolate ourselves from people who aren't like us, who might be a little more broken, who might not have it all together as we do because Jesus loves them and so do we. He saw them as people in need of grace and in need of salvation, in need of mercy. And as you and I seek to grow in our love for Jesus, a natural overflow of that is to love people and not with an agenda, but to love people because God created them and has a significant plan for their life. And Jesus modeled something in this second chapter of Mark that you and I are really quick to miss if we're not careful because we can kind of isolate ourselves from all the mess. We can kind of live an insulated life where we don't really kind of encroach upon people who ask much of us, or maybe we kind of only hang out with people who are in the same income bracket as we are. We only move towards people that are only just like us. We only spend our time with people who already know Jesus. But if that's the way we live, we're missing a really crucial aspect of the life that Jesus wants us to live. We're to be involved in the life of other people. We're not to be embarrassed by broken people. We're not to be ashamed. We're not to be judging people who are going through a difficult season because lest we forget, that's where we all are. But rather we say, I wanna grow in love for all people. And then Jesus says in verse 17, on hearing this, because he understands, he hears the question of the Pharisees. On hearing this, it says in verse 17, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. So in response to their question, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. This is who I came for, the broken. And in this instance, he is making his way to the cross and he's showing us already why he came, but he came to heal the broken. I know that we just finished Easter, but by the end of Mark, we're headed right back there. We're headed back to the cross and headed back to a, a realization that Jesus loves us and that he yearns to be in a relationship with us. Now we have called this series Master Class because we're looking at this big picture 
this big picture of the Gospel of Mark. But because we have the word class in it, you can expect to get some homework. I think you guys can handle it. I mean, my second grader, she comes home with so much homework, and I'm like, let's slow our roll on the homework. So if, if, if second graders can do it, I think you can. And so what is the homework? What is the takeaway from this? The takeaway for us is to, to do some evaluation. And to say, you know what, I want to evaluate my life. I want to evaluate my relationships. And I want to look at these two snapshots of Jesus, because just in these first 17 verses of Mark chapter 2, Jesus gives us two snapshots And this is the homework. This is the takeaway. Your life should be filled with people journeying with Jesus and those not journeying with him yet. Your life should be filled with people who are journeying with Jesus, but also those who are not journeying with him yet. What do I mean by that? I mean that in your life, you need people to carry the mat for you. You need people to carry you to Jesus. You need to pick up the mat and carry other people to Jesus. You need to be involved in community. I hope that you don't miss an entire week of this series. I hope that you serve in the life of our church. In fact, if you're not serving in the life of our church, I hope that you'll jump into that today. But you don't just need this. You also need some time with the tax collectors. You don't just need the holy huddle. Now, you don't move away from that because without this, you don't do this part very well. And what Jesus is giving us is a beautiful picture. He's showing us as his disciples that our life should be about people who are journeying with Jesus, but also those who are not journeying with him just quite yet. And so are you journeying with others who are of deep faith, who are pointing you to Jesus, who are spurring you on to good works, but are you also walking with those that are not there yet? And my hope and my prayer is that all of us would just do some self-reflecting and would say, God, God, give me opportunities today to tell other people about you. Give me opportunities today to reflect upon your goodness. Give me opportunities to share that hope and that life with others. And may our goal this week say, God, I wanna show others to you. I wanna live as you would have me to live. And I want my life to be filled with the things that you want to be about to grow in faith, to grow in courage, to grow in boldness, to not stay put, but to say, God, I know that you have something for me today. So show me what it is and the power In the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, let's pray. God, thank you for this time to be together. We're so thankful for who you are. We thank you, God, for your word. I thank you for just the truth that you give us in scripture, that life is not to be about just a holy huddle and life is not to be about just people who are far from you. But God, you give us a picture of both. So give us that boldness. Give us that faith. Give us that courage to step into people's lives, to encourage people, to stop what we're doing and to carry the mats of other people to Jesus and to trust God. That when we do that, we're as close as we're ever going to be to understanding what it is that you want our life to be about. So I pray, God, that as we continue to worship and as we continue to live and as we continue to serve, that you would give us all that we need to be who it is that you have called us to be. So, God, we're grateful for who you are. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to make everything right and to make us whole. And it's in his powerful name that we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for checking out our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this sermon, make sure to share it with loved ones and subscribe so you can tune in each time we release a new sermon. Don't forget to check out our other awesome content, like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, go ahead and download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We'll see you next time.